tartness to it, and it's got a little kick, a little spice to it. So it's absolutely a little bit, little bit like you. Oh, absolutely. Very tart. But it's uh, it's absolutely outstanding. So congratulations, and of course. Saturday, this Saturday, Chef and the Fat Man will be here from 12 to 2. Absolutely. And if you come in, we'll have some food for you. We'll leave a, we'll leave a plate out for you. And then on Monday night, of course, the big night. The of course, FBS you guys, you guys did this on purpose when I wasn't going to be here. What? You're not going to be here yes. Monday? I leave Saturday. Oh, uh, that's I'm leaving yes. Saturday with Russ to go to Nicaragua to visit the um, Perdomo factory. I'm looking forward to that immensely. Well, somebody um, asked, one of the guys asked John how long he was going for, and John said, well, I'll be there four days. He said, no, he won't. He'll be there 20 years because he's <laughs> going to do something the Sandinistas aren't going to like, and, and he'll be uh, – he'll be, You ever uh, seen Locked Up Abroad? <laughs> <laughs> locked Up with a what? No, no. no. <laughs> anyway, uh, but you, yeah, you won't be here I'm for sorry. that, but uh, it'll the be a good time. The chili cook-off is going to be – last year was our first year doing the chili cook-off, um, and it, it went really, really well. We had a lot of good entries – a lot of good, a lot of fun. I think it's going to be exponentially better this year. Mm -hmm. um, I think because of the people that w that were there last year talked about it. Um, also, having alcohol with chili is yes. is not a bad combination a nice cold whatsoever. Beer. Um, I probably will be making a pot and send in with my wife mm -hmm. just for people to enjoy. I made a pot yesterday. My wife said it was a little bit too spicy, but it was. Yeah, well, you know, incredible. spice is relative. You know, there are some people yeah, that like it. I, the hotter, the better for me. You guys, let's smoke. Yes. What do we, we got are, today? We, we, Cutter Cigar was the very first lounge in Georgia, very first store in Georgia, period, to have the Leaf by Oscar. We were the very first one, and we knocked that, knocked sales out of the park for that cigar. It was easy to do because it's a very recognizable, recognizable cigar wrapped in a cured tobacco leaf that's its package just like a cellophane package for other cigars um and sales for that cigar here have, have been phenomenal and oscar came out with island jim came out with the leaf by oscar lancero which is what i have here today and we we're so well thought of by that company that that we were given first right to to have this cigar and we have we are the only cigar cigar store in georgia that's going to be carrying this cigar for a year wow so we are the only place that has it you can't get it anywhere else it comes into connecticut sumatra corojo maduro i knew i couldn't get the gauge you wanted because obviously these are lanceros but i got a sumatra which is going to be kernel pretty pretty much in your in and your a lancero range. a lancero for those who aren't familiar with what a lancero is opposed to other a lancero is going to be typically longer than a typical cigar and probably about a 35 to 40 gauge yeah. around there so it's a long skinny cigar it's a long skinny cigar that's how you can you can tell a lancero now this is beautiful and it's neat the way this is wrapped imagine if you will you've seen tobacco leaves well they wrap a cured leaf around it twist it off right here. and fold it back up over the, the load it back up bring bring the leaf back up the uh, cigar and then they put their band around it to hold it just a beautiful presentation. That's actually the outer band just to hold it on, but yep. the, the, the this leaf is really brittle for some reason. But the inner band, and it's 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 interesting because these bands, as I understand it, were made by a family in Honduras. These cigars are made in Honduras, made by a family in Honduras, and that's how they support themselves, making these bands. 
So you have to take the outer leaf, and it's so funny because when you watch people who have never had a leaf by Oscar, they come in here, and if they aren't told, in, you know, if you don't have the time to tell them in front, you'll see them take that cigar and try to light it right off the bat because they see it's, they see the band, they see the tobacco leaf, so they try to light it, and it's like, no! I've had people act a little offended when, I, when, I've, tried to, when I've demonstrated to them how to open it, um, but after I've done it, they're like, oh, I would have screwed that up. Yeah, and that would definitely make a difference. So you take off that outer leaf. This is a beautiful cigar. Once again, it's a small ring gauge cigar. And this is, uh, again, this is a, is a Sumatra wrapper. Yep. Which ends a, uh, lends a smoothness and just really a little bit of spice. A little bit of spice, but not not overpoweringly so. And it's a pigtail, which was the old the old Cubans used to do the pigtails when the workers were given cigars. Mm-hmm. They typically be given one or two cigars a day, along with their twenty five cents a stick or twenty cents a stick or however much it was at the time. And they didn't they couldn't afford cutters. They couldn't afford all the amenities. So what they did was they created a way called the pigtail. And what they do is they take the pigtail and they could just twist it off and it would Pop leave it with a little hole there. Yeah, leave a little hole there so that they could fire it up. And you get a great draw. Very great draw. And it's and uh, interestingly enough, with the Lancero, a lot of guys smoke solely smoke Lanceros because there's less filler tobacco in it and you're getting more of the 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 wrapper and the wrapper lends a lot of the flavor to a cigar so you're actually getting more of the flavor from the wrapper and you're getting less of the profile from the from the filler tobacco oh it's got a nice it's got a nice smoky it's got a kind of like a uh, definitely got a hint of cedar yeah it's it's got a nice cedar flavor to it but it's mild it's got it's got no pepper at the beginning. It doesn't it doesn't mask the um, the tobacco though. No, you, you definitely taste the tobacco it's a over the seed. Yes. It doesn't cover it up. There's a little lavender. I, I denote a little lavender, which is very unusual to see lavender in cigars. But when you do find it, it tends to be. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't I'm, not, I'm not Eric Holdo channel. Did you know that that lavender is, is most often noted by uh, high levels of estrogen? <laughs> no, but it, it fits. Okay. There's a there's a nice on the front end, a nice nice cedar and then the cedar kind of blends away and it gets into that lavender and it's just got a beautiful soft flavor to it that's flavorful and very delicious. This is an excellent choice, John. Thank you very much. Um, and if you're in Georgia, if you're out of Georgia, well, if you're in Georgia, the only place you're going to get them is Cutter Cigar Emporium on Windward Parkway. And uh, I think that says a lot to the, to the relationships, and that's always been Russ's. It's, I call it the Suttonian way, Russ Sutton. He has a way about he wants He buys cigars not necessarily because they're the most popular. He wants the story. He wants something that you can talk about the cigar yeah. much more than just, oh, that's the number one cigar in the world, you know, blah, blah, blah. He gets those, but then he goes out and he finds these stories like the Leaf by Oscar. Had a great story. It intrigued him. He tried them. They were a great cigar. He brought them in. They went through the roof. And he builds this loyalty like he has with Pepin, like he has with so many of the others. Scott Weeks. Scott Weeks, absolutely, with Recluse. <clears throat> so they give him these opportunities that very few cigar owners, they don't build the relationships because they don't have the time nor the inclination. So once again, this is an excellent, excellent. And, of course, I smoked the... Uh, Big the biggest cigar. I think it's the biggest. Oh, you're talking the big, the Woody. Yeah, the big Woody. 
by uh, don't by Oscar by Oscar and it, it Island Jim created it. It's, it's a, I remember uh, meeting him. Twenty one by one hundred by the stories. Or, yes. Um, funny story with that one. Oscar was Oscar and Jim when they came in when they came up for the Southern Cigar Fest. They were here the night before, and. <laughs> no, no, we're not working. All those reps, they can be um, brutal. Came in for the Southern Cigar Fest the night before, and they came in and they, they had this this cigar. It's in a big wooden coffin. coffin, like two foot long, two foot wide, or two inch wide wooden coffin, and it's called the Woody. Well, Oscar Valerdez, and I probably just butchered his last name, but close enough. Um, his English is not so good, mm-hmm. and he named the he named the cigar the Woody, based on the wooden coffin. Mm-hmm. And Jim said, uh, "Oscar, you can't do that." And he's like, "Why?" He said, "The name Woody." He goes, "Yeah, Woody, wooden wooden box." And Jim said, "That ha- that word has a different connotation here in the U.S." <laughs> and when he told him what the Woody was referring to. Oscar was mortified. He's like, oh, no, we've got to change it. And Jim said, nope, got to leave it right where it's at. It's not a cigar for sale. It's more of a promotional. Right. But you did smoke that son of a gun all the way down in less than 24 hours. Yeah, it was eight hours and yeah, 34 minutes. Just in the course of the, uh, basically just yeah. the festival. Yeah, it was, it was amazing. It was a How did you cigar. feel after that? You know what? It, I, I felt like I just had a cigar because it was loosely packed so you could get an excellent draw because you know when the thing is 21 inches long he, did, he was and, able to wrap his lips around it very well like he'd done that before yeah it wasn't the first time like he well, had done I bet, I, yeah i put my lips around a 70 ring gauge cigar so that was bigger than seven yeah, yeah that's 100 that yes. was 100 by 21 you've had 100 gauge in your mouth before yes i have <laughs> it's called the big woody <laughs> before by <that>. oscar <laughs> by oscar but anyway you had it was a, woody in your that's yes. what he said that's oh, what we he got did. it on tape anyway, it he great, did it was a great cigar <laughs> But this is, this is like the direct opposite. It's like the total opposite of the Big Woody, and yet it has wonderful flavor. It's a wonderful cigar. And what's the price point on this, John? Nine fifty. Oh man. We also have um, something they just started selling. Well, we got them before they're actually for sale at the Southern Cigar Fest. Mm-hmm. I got a, a bundle of them, the Big Johnny, um, which is basically the Leaf Maduro in a, I believe, a sixty gauge. Your pro, your your size, but not your profile. M- moving little, in, in his direction. A little bit fuller yes. than you typically smoke. But, but anyway, you, you smoked one, didn't you? I have. Not. I thought I gave you one. No, I haven't tried that one yet. But it's uh, it's a great cigar. This is a great place to come. Come check it out. Uh, you know, John is here. Lou and is here. Wayno. I got to give Caleb some thanks ben. to John too. Um, yeah. The week before Christmas, the Monday or Tuesday before Christmas, I had a buddy down in, in Buckhead whose father loves cigars. Mm-hmm. And he's getting up there in age. He doesn't get out very much. He doesn't do a lot of driving anymore. So he, he doesn't go to cigar shops. Uh, he's a guy in his mid-80s. And uh, my buddy Tom knew what he, his dad liked to smoke. And I came up here and I said, I need Monte Cristos. I believe they were white labels. Monte Cristo number two. Monte Cristo white labels, yes. Yes. And I uh, got a box of them for, for, to hit, give to his dad for Christmas. Well, his dad couldn't wait. And so he gave them to him like the day before Christmas. Uh-huh. Or maybe the day before Christmas Eve even. Uh, and... Much thanks. They were Absolutely. they were they were much appreciated. Absolutely. He really I'm enjoyed glad he them. enjoyed them. Really did. It was a, a special treat, you know, because the guy gets that age, he's got everything he needs, and yeah. and uh, you know, just a, a gift that his son wanted to give him th- that he knew was something that his dad liked and appreciated it, and 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 John was able to fulfill the uh, the and request. And not only that, but 
even if you if you know someone that likes cigars but don't know, come to Cutter Cigar Emporium. The help you will get here is unmatched. Anywhere that I've been, I've never seen the kind of help that you get here. Um, it's 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 helpful. They don't try to sell you the expensive cigars. They try to they try to identify as closely to what they possibly can do so that when you make that purchase, whether it's a cigar, whether it's a humidor, whether it's a lighter, a cutter, you name it. In fact, we actually have uh, custom cutters or custom punches by Michael the Whip Holst, our famous engineer yeah. and woodworker. He has created some absolutely beautiful yeah. punches that are very reasonable. These are handmade, individual, and unique, and they are absolutely gorgeous. they got a keychain on them. A great gift for somebody to keep on their keychain with them. Good so Father's Day gift. Oh, it's, yeah. it's or, great. Or we got Valentine's, Valentine's Day coming up, Valentine's up too. Yeah. Sure. What do you mean? Yeah. Mardi Gras. I don't know. Yeah. Mardi Gras. <laughs> Valentine's Day. We never have. Well, we'll, we'll change that. Why? Because it's people love It's just another cutters. excuse. To, well, for cutters, great. Yeah. Yes. I was speaking my wife and I. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean. I celebrate oh. her every day. Oh, look at that. You know, uh, you, you'd think she was in the room. Yeah, you would. <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> Oh, she heard it. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, well, nice suck up. But anyway, John. You know me. Uh, I have to when I, I can. I see one of the reps came by and dropped off some great cigars. She's one of the great reps. Yeah, so that's probably Luann's stash. I'll probably yeah. have to beg for my own. Yeah, well. Now, we've got an event coming up next week or uh, next week or the week after. 15th. Friday the 15th. Alec Bradley event. It's going to be a phenomenal time to come and enjoy some really good cigars. Um, meet the meet the rep for Alec Bradley. Um that's uh, the, that's a week from this Friday. Yes. Well, you know, there's some reps that are nice and polite, and then there's some that are extraordinary. And the lovely lady that came in here and just dropped a pile of cigars, oh, my God, does it get any better? <laughs> does it get any better? I mean, that's the neat thing about coming into Cutters, man. You meet some great people. You meet – it's just a great place to come. And this Cutters is going to be a fun time, too. You oh, know, yeah. you, you, you get the winter months, so a lot of guys aren't out playing golf on the weekends. Um, but – and it's cold, so you don't want to do yard work. You know, you're not cutting the grass. You know, you have you don't have a whole lot to do. Let's put it that way. For those guys that are looking forward to warmer days, I do want to want to prompt you that we will be doing the Southern Cigar Fest again this year. Yes. And that is an event that is not to be missed. If you're anywhere in the South, this is definitely. Oh, they came from all over the country. Going to be a location. Uh, it'll an be event bigger this year. Not to More be missed. More people are going to know about it after the experience of last oh, year. Oh yeah, the destination location. It is incredible. Well, John, thank you so very much. We appreciate Absolutely. you. Another another home run. Yeah. I mean, he's been on a roll. I'll tell you what. Luann tells me, Luann tells me what to pick. And oh, you're <laughs> such a liar. <laughs> Thanks, John. I'm not going to let you get that Thanks. suck up away. But anyway, Greek, um, you know, it was, uh, it, was, it was a great experience once again. The uh, Lancero by I like Oscar. this. This you know, I break my cigars down <clears throat> different times of the day. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm, I don't want something heavy in the morning. Right. But this would be a great morning stick. Mm -hmm. This would be, you know, just get up, get it when I'm getting my uh, my stuff organized in the morning, and I just want to have a, a, a nice cigar. And it probably doesn't take you that long to smoke this. You could probably no. smoke this in 45 minutes. Yeah. But it's a great smoke. Very well priced. Uh, very, very well priced. But Cutter Cigar Emporium, Winwood Parkway. This is our second year being here, and we're almost to the one-year anniversary. I think we did yes. our first test show at least right around January seventh, I believe, yes. last year. So, and it uh, was uh, I think it was the fourteenth or fifteenth, which was ironically the fifteenth year that we started Chef and the Fat Man. Wow! So 
this is we're coming up on our one year, next year will be our official one year anniversary here I, at Cutters. I, you don't you don't pat yourself on the back enough for that. I mean, a lot of people may not be familiar with how the radio business works, but to have a show for fifteen years on any type of subject is amazing. And hats off to both you and Eric and and and, and your wife. Mike, who puts a show on with you guys, 15 years doing the same show in that business is incredible. Well, we've been very fortunate, very blessed. We have hundreds of thousands of listeners all around the world that, that love listening to the show. And we're building this show. We started, we had two, then we're up to 60, then we're up to 100, then we're up to 200, now up to 300 plus. And we haven't really even started promoting it hard. We've been, uh, this year we're really going to come out strong. I think we'll start doing some type of... Uh, social media promotion. I was thinking about this just the other night. Right around the the week leading up. Oh, thank you. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Michelle. Michelle. Thank you very much. Step up to the microphone. Step up to the microphone. Come on up here. No, that's all right. Well, hello, Michelle. Tell everybody who you are and who you represent and how long you've been. I mean, I've known you for now. Gosh, what is it, two years? Uh, yeah, over two years. Yeah. I've been with AJ. I'm Michelle Enter. I'm with AJ Fernandez Cigars. I've been with AJ about a year and four months, but I knew you before that because yeah. my husband worked for Zycar. Mm -hmm. So it's been a while. Yeah, well, I'm, uh, we saw you at ICPCR, which is the big cigar convention down in New Orleans this year, and, and you which stopped was by. Which blast. Oh, man. You know what? It's just tragic what they did about the cigar laws down there. Yes, it is. Very much so. But and we still made it a heck of an event. It was great. I'm sad that it's going to be back in, New, in uh, uh, Las Vegas. I love New Orleans. I loved it. I had a great time. I love the food. I love the people. And we found places to smoke. Yeah. Oh, definitely. And some places even our nose. Mm -hmm. Look the other way. I don't yeah. know. After the floral day, I smoked so many cigars. I was like dying at night. I couldn't even. I, you guys were all going out smoking more. I'm like, oh, my God, just kill me now. But you, what did you drop off for us? A couple of great cigars. I dropped off uh, the New World, which was Cigar of the Year last year with Cigar Journal, and the Enclave, which I just saw, got number four with Cigar Snob. Um, Outstanding. This year. Yes. So yeah, we've been doing well, doing very well with both the cigars. Well, I really appreciate you stopping by. I wanted you to get a plug in for your company. Thank you. I appreciate and, that. And uh, you know, they can listen to it. As a matter of fact, it'll be down. It'll be uploaded today, and by tomorrow, you'll be able to listen to your little spiel and you can send it back to corporate and say hey yeah. this is what i did and what's your website the the, the website, website for the aj for aj fernandez yeah actually we're in the process for, of changing our name so things are kind of in limbo um chris and aj have kind of split ties mm -hmm. and aj is actually taking over the u.s operations as of now so we are now going to be known as aj fernandez family cigars that's awesome so all this is going on at this just happened like january 1st and so we have a new warehouse congratulations aj thank you yes and congratulations yes. So, yeah you. i it's i think we're headed in a very good direction so well we're excited about that you gave me uh, you gave me one of these down in uh down in new orleans and it was just coming out, and it was <coughs> it yeah, was outstanding. Very well received. We've been doing very well with it, and now now even better that we got number four with cigar snobs. So I'm happy about that. Well, here's what it was. I she said, Colonel, you got to try this cigar. This is new. You're gonna love it. I said, Well, you know what I like. She goes, I know what you like. She has a memory, like God, and and she said, Try this cigar. And I tried it, and it was like, Oh my God, she nailed it. Absolutely nailed it. And of course, no surprise, it's it's already climbing up the charts and. Uh, but it's great, and, and the, the whole idea behind the cigar industry, it's not just the companies, but it's their reps. It's the people that they have representing their product because that's all they have, basically. 
And um, when you have someone like Michelle on your team, man, you're, you're first class, you're world class. And congratulations oh, to AJ. Much. And I like your black foxes. No black box. <laughs> yes, so like do I. Oh, thank you very much. Well, we wanted to give you a shout out. Thank, thank you. you very much. Thank for you so much. Bye -bye. We appreciate Thanks, it. Guys. Okay, that's Michelle, AJ Fernandez. And you mentioned something just now about uh, the the way the importance of the reps. When, when when you think about other industries and, and the way they have the the, the the vehicles they have to promote themselves, mm -hmm. the tobacco industry has been has been hamstrung, and it, it really is a matter of having the right people get out there and, and promote their different. I products. mean, the windshield time that these reps spend. Most of them have three, four, five states. They have to go to every cigar store Think to get their that. product. I mean, it's you and I have both been in sales for yeah. years. And I'm on uh, the road. It, it's yeah, tough. it's brutal. It's brutal. And uh, so hats off. But, Greek, I got to tell you, we'll wrap up with this, uh, with this gun thing. But I, uh, I got to tell you, my friends, do not be duped by the media. Do not be duped by all the stuff that you, 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 you hear Go research it. It's exactly, Go. exactly. You know, and and I, I really want you to take a serious look at this because this is very, very serious stuff. And I want to close. I think I found the article here. I want to give, uh, let's see. Yeah, here we go. This is the one I wanted to mention just for you people that thought that when the president says, well, I'm giving these poor drug people that, you know, they, they got over-sentenced, overburdened, everything else. It's just low-level drug dealers, you know, and they make it sound like the little kid on the street that's got a nickel bag and he's doing hard time. No, that's not how they get the Most president. of those people don't even do any real hard time. Exactly. So what you're getting is you're getting guys. Now, here's a dirty little secret, too. They may have committed much more heinous crimes, but they plead down, and there's so many of them, they plead down. So they're felons, but they're not just at what their record says they're okay. they're agreeing to if you'll agree to five years and, and, and plead guilty on this we'll, we'll drop the other charges we'll drop the other charges well here's an interesting thing now remember this is the president says we need stricter gun control we need to do this because congress won't act which we have already explained to you why that's a lie the reason they haven't acted is because the majority of the americans don't want them to act non-action is action as you said so here's uh, this is one of the people that just released George Andre Axum, possession of a firearm by a convicted felon, 15 years in prison. Though Axum had a history of drug abuse and felony offenses. Now, it's not like this was his only felony right. offense, right? The crime for which he was imprisoned occurred in December of 2001. After arguing with his daughter outside an Atlanta house, Axum went back inside. This is a convicted, this is a multiple felony guy, retrieved a gun, then went outside, reportedly aimed it at his daughter's boyfriend who was sitting in the car. Axum proceeded to fire one or two shots in the boyfriend's direction. He then took off to beat the police into the woods and was caught, and he's been set free. He didn't serve his 15 years. He only got 15 years for that. Now, this is a multiple felon. So this is a guy, this is coming. The president let him out because he's concerned about gun violence. Then you have Carlin, Carolyn Yvonne Butler. Eh, she was all right. She had three counts of armed bank robbery and <laughs> using three. a firearm during a violent crime. She got 48 years in prison, as she should have. She Butler robbed three banks at gunpoint in 1991, one on June 4, another on July 10th, a third on November 22nd. She reportedly purchased a 25 caliber pistol in San Antonio two days before the first crime. Though she appealed her guilty verdicts, the U.S. Court of Appeals upheld her convictions. But what does the president care? So he turns her loose. I mean, no 48 years. What, for three armed robberies? Nah, ridiculous. And then 
There's my last one, and then we'll move on to another. We'll move on to, to the uh, things that happened out in Oregon. Did you find the article? Yes, I do. Well, okay. I have the article that kept that. Okay, uh, Melody Ellen Homa. She was uh, convicted of aiding and abetting bank fraud. 30 days of home confinement, three years probation, 200 hours of community service. Homa committed a crime in 1991. Like Gerard, the presidential pardon expunged the bank fraud charges from her record. So she helped and abetted in bank fraud. She only got three years probation in 30 days, but what does she do? She gets it expunged by the president. I mean, this is, I'm sorry, my friends, this is what angers me. These are the facts you don't go. And I give this, this is a hat tip to Independent Journal. Uh, the article was yesterday by Chris Martin. And it's, a, it's actually an article from 18 days ago. But, I, but in doing my research, I found this. But these are the kind of people that we're releasing, Greek. And this goes back to what you're talking about. It, we both are on the same page. A, he doesn't care because he's, he's making it easier for these people to get out his new law that he's trying to get pushed through to decrease the amount of years these people have to serve with a gun. And then I say he doesn't care about the American people. He doesn't care about really gun control. All he wants well, is control for the federal government. Well, I think it, it also speaks to his ideology. And, and what I mean by that is it's not the people that are the problem, according to him. It's the gun. Mm-hmm. And so he deals with these people by thinking, oh, they've done their time or they've served their sentence or they've, they've reformed, whatever his excuse is. And besides, if they wouldn't have had the gun, yeah. then they probably wouldn't be in trouble. And the numbers of violent crimes that have been committed by guns by illegal aliens. And what do they do? They run to the sanctuary cities. So you would think that the president, if he really was concerned, he would do away with these sanctuary cities. But no, no, no. He not only doesn't want to do away with them, he won't let that happen as long as he's president of the United States. So once again, it's style over substance. He acts like he's doing something. He couches it with legality where he skirts the law and then waits and says, you know what, sue us. It's and it's also addressing his ideology, and his That's ideology right. is that 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 individual law-abiding people should not be permitted to own firearms and unrestricted firearms in an unrestricted manner. Ordinarily, his, his problem is the ideology of the gun, and not addressing the problems that are going on every day on the street. Ordinarily, to be honest with you, my friends, ordinarily we wouldn't spend this much time on one particular topic. But it's so important. It's so critical. They are eroding our rights and couching it with trying to do what's best for America. And we are bringing out all these instances where he doesn't care about America. He cares about the power of the federal government, the government nanny state. He wants to be a socialist Marxist government. And this is just another way. And it feeds right in. I'll let you do it since you pulled up the article. I'll just finish that subject by by saying we've only got less than a year of this guy left. Mm -hmm. The bigger problem we have on the horizon is somebody else who is even more drunk with power and would even more restrict the ability of of citizens to have firearms. The smart Republican candidate is going to seize on this because it's an issue that resonates with the American people. And if they will take take the reins and, and say, look, I know what the problem is, and I have a solution to fix it. And the solution is getting the bad people off the streets, dealing with the people who are the problem, 
and not restricting the rights of the law-abiding people to obtain firearms. I think that's going to resonate with a lot of folks. I don't think this is an issue that the Democrats can win with. It, I, I think they're completely yeah, on the wrong side of this with, with the vast majority of voters. And, and I don't just think that it's on the vast majority of conservative voters that they weren't going to get to vote for him anyway. I think this resonates with people who live in urban areas uh, who traditionally might vote Democrat, who want the opportunity to protect themselves and may not be able to afford something like a $200 acquisition fee. These people have a right to own guns just as much as anyone else if they're right. law-abiding citizens. And those are the ones who are going to be most restricted and most affected by some of this. And I think that the smart Republican candidate that can get out and uh, make an appeal to those people. I saw this happen in Jefferson Parish in New Orleans with a very tough sheriff who was very tough on crime. And everybody called him a racist and everything else. He was Chinese-American. They called him a racist. But the African-American people in Jefferson Parish loved him because he put up with no, it was no excuse for violence. He wouldn't stand for violence. He was going on to, to, to street corners and shaking down drug dealers, known drug dealers. And the ACLU and, and, and the NAACP came. You can't just go up to somebody and shake them down. The citizens of those neighborhoods were saying, well, hell yeah, we want him to. Those people live in fear every day. And Look they, what's and happened in Baltimore since they busted the cops up there. Yeah. The murder rate is through the roof. And who's it affecting? It's not affecting the uh, nice communities. No, it's the, affecting the tough communities. The people who the live hard, around the, the, the inner right. harbor. It's, it's the people in the inner city. And the same thing can be said in a town like Chicago. <laughs> Uh, you can you can see it in every urban center. New Orleans, the crime down there is horrible. Uh, in fact, it, it, it's just open season now. They're shooting people on Bourbon Street. You never saw that. People used to tell you, well, if you're going to go to the French Quarter, make sure you stay on the main streets. Uh, they're killing people now right on Bourbon Street. It, it, it's just it's ridiculous. And until you address the problem, and the problem is the people, you're not going to be able to, to get your arms around this problem. Well, the, now the, this goes right to what's happening. Now, the media has been saying there's a bunch of white militiamen that have seized a facility on federal property and that's what you hear and you think oh there we go again these white knuckleheads with guns and they're doing it but tell the backstory here greek well I, you can go back and, and, and talk about where the you can go back to the 1870s when this land was was first settled um and it was just a, you know a multitude of ranchers who had hundreds of thousands of heads of cattle and they needed open range in order to to let these th this cattle graze and eventually uh in the early 1900s theodore roosevelt declared it a preserve an indian reservation and whatnot but the purchase of the land did not preclude the grazing rights for that land right and uh move ahead fast forward a little bit so we don't have to go through all of it right. but in in 1964 the hammonds purchased their ranch and the purchase included 6,000 acres of private property with four different grazing rights on these public lands and uh that's when that's when they settled in and that's when they began using access to this land and uh ne in the 1970s this land that was adjacent to their their land was purchased by the U.S. Fish and Wildlife uh, Reserve, and that was 187,000 of the 300,000 acres. And um, the BLM, the Bureau of Land Management, came in and seized. Well, they they don't call it seized. They paid whatever what they considered fair market value for it. But they bought up all this acreage. And what happened? Uh, they tried to get the uh, ranchers to sell. And the ranchers were told that the grazing was going to be detrimental. When, when they tried to get the ranchers out, they tried to get them out by telling them that the land, that grazing was detrimental to the wildlife. And so they revoked 32 of the 53 uh, grazing permits. 
and tried to force these ranchers out. They also increased uh, grazing fees significantly for the ones who did decide to stay. And uh, then personnel took over the irrigation systems to try to control the water on this land in another effort to force them out. And that, that's going back now 40 years. Uh, the conflict began in the 80s, uh, and I'm just reading through it really quick, uh, when the FWS wanted to acquire the ranch lands on the Silver Plains to add to their already uh, uh, vast holdings, uh, the, the personnel intentionally diverted water by, by bypassing the grazing meadows and lands, directing the water to, um, such, I can't pronounce the name of the lake, um, and within a, a, a few short years, they, they had run them, run them out of water, and now the ranchers who were still around were now broke, and they were forced to beg to acquire new land, which by this time had been made useless by the FWS. And uh, it's just, it, I mean, I can go on and on. I can take it from uh, the late 80s into the 90s, but you see the pattern starting to develop here. The, uh, the, the federal government, in this desire to take over more and more of this property, were, were forcing these people off their, their, their land and their livelihood. Well, and, and this is what these, what these militiamen and these, these, these farmers and ranchers are out there doing. They're doing that because they're saying, enough, you guys are trying to kill us, and it's not. Now, you've got to consider it. If you look up, and there's a great map here, and I'll, I'll get the, uh, it's called, uh, what is it, Fusion. And this is one map that will help you understand the Oregon militia standoff. And if you look at the red areas on this, it's a white map, but you look at the red areas, do you realize that in the state of Nevada alone, the federal government owns 84% of the land in, in, in uh, Nevada? 84%. Now, this is a government that's broke. If you look at what our debts are, if you look at where we're at, we are dead broke, my friends. And if you don't believe it, look at, don't look at the numbers that the, that the uh, CBO puts out. You look at the real hardcore numbers. We are in such debt. And what are they doing? They're acquiring more and more land. They're taking it away from people. And they don't just acquire it. They do it in nefarious ways. Well, we're going to cut off your grazing privileges. We're going to cut the water off. Well, now what are you going to do? Well, that's what they did here. I'm, I'm, I'm reading further. If you jump uh, ahead to 1994, uh, after the Hammonds had already won a case in federal court, or the Oregon State Circuit Court at first, the court found that the Hammonds had legally obtained the rights to water in accordance with state law and that they had uh, use of the water. That was uh, in the early 90s. In 94, what the BLM and the FWS did was they said, okay, well, we'll just build a fence around the water supply and, and shield them from that. And then owning the rights, the Hammonds had to go back to court and, 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 and go through another legal process, which again the federal court said that they should be released without bail and that they had a right to, to, to the water source. So now you've got a history of them actually going through the process of, of taking their issue to court and winning court decisions and the government just ignoring the fact that the courts had, had ruled in their favor and continued to do everything they could to obstruct them. And here's what happened. They did a backburn on their property to, to keep, and backburning basically you start a fire behind where you think the fires are going to be because it was before the lightning and, and everything else starts up. So what they did was they, they went back and they, and they took the... Uh, backburned the area and it the, the fire got a little bit out of control and burned 126 acres of federal land okay now 126 acres compared to thousands and thousands is virtually nothing but it didn't cost because the family actually they, went they out put, and put it out they know, put it out themselves that was in 2001 and so instead of getting a fine which they eventually got from one judge 
they gave him a fine. And because the Hammonds were so non-cooperative to the BLM and to the, to the Fish and Wildlife Service, they said that isn't good enough. So they took it to the Ninth Circuit, and the Ninth Circuit added five years of hard jail time. Now, we're letting people go. We're letting people go who have committed multiple felonies, felonies with guns, bank fraud. They are being let go early, but these people are getting five years. They, were, they turned themselves in on Monday, January the 4th. They turned themselves in, and they had helped the federal government before by doing a back burn. which in 2006. Thousands of acres. Thousands of acres they saved them. And by helping out and doing the right thing because it helps everybody. This is the way this devious, despicable government is working. And so now they're going to force them out. And once they went into jail, part of their agreement was the government got first right of refusal on their property. First right of refusal. Because they know now the, the mother and the daughter are supposed to run this ranch by themselves. Well, they know what they're going to do is by putting them in prison, they're going to force these people to sell it out. To sell out, and that's what they're doing. This, it, and so when these militiamen are standing there, do I agree with what they're doing? Absolutely not. Do I think that they've gone too far? Probably. But if you look in the great scheme of things, what they're doing is they are forcing the American people to hear the story. The media isn't talking about this. We are. Mark Levin, Rush Limbaugh. We're the people out there telling the rest of the story that you probably didn't even know existed. So these aren't some wackos that just decided to pick up guns one day and walk in and seize a piece of federal government. That's not what it was. This was years and years of abuse by FWS and the BLM, and it got worse and worse as the years went on till they were finally standing up for this family because this is the most egregious thing I have seen in a long time. And they not only were continually harassed about these existing charges, which in, I believe, 2006 were eventually dropped when uh, the county district attorney, I'm reading again, reviewed the accusation, evidence, and charges and determined the accusations against Dwight and Stephen Hammond did not warrant prosecution, dropped all charges. Five years later, the U.S. district attorney accused them of completely different charges, this time accused them of terrorism. Terrorism. Under the Federal Anti-Terrorism Act, which carries a death penalty and uh, sentenced them to five years, a maximum sentence, uh, which could have sentenced them to five years when the maximum sentence could have been death. So this is this is now we talked about Nevada. Eighty four and a half percent is owned by the federal government of the land. Alaska, 69 percent. Utah, 57 percent. Oregon, 53 percent. Idaho, 50. Arizona, 48 California, 45% of the land mass in California is owned by the federal government. Now, do I think that the federal government should own some private lands? Yes, we need to protect. But 28% and growing? Yeah, well, and, and let's face it, this land is not all public parks that people are going to and camping no. out in and fishing in and all. This is land that they just basically sit on and prevent people from, again, going free enterprise. They're preventing people from purchasing this land, having access to it. Working the land, whether it be ranch land or farmland or mining land or oil land, preventing people from from conducting private enterprise, which goes back to the the words of our founding fathers, promote the general welfare. They have an obligation to promote the general welfare. You would think they would want to make this land available for people to 
ply their trade. But do you see? Do you not see how this reinforces what I've been talking about? What we've talked about. This is not about anything other than power. It's control. <coughs> it's 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 absolute control. And, and the 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 scary thing is they've done a very good job of this. You have more and more people now who are just willing to go along with anything the government comes up with, anything they're told to do. They just they just go blindly go along. No one questions it. When when they're told in the media that these people are crazies or extremists or they they they, they believe it. They don't go in and they don't read the backstory. All they know is that they're uh, they're occupying this what is it like a sanctuary? They uh, give it the book. same thing as in fact they're looked down upon more than Black Lives Matter taking over uh, universities. Well, well, well they're 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 called terrorists. Yeah, and and, and, and you you see these things pop up on social media comparing them to ISIS or how are they any different from ISIS? Really? I mean, are they beheading people? Are they throwing people off of buildings? Are they stoning women to death? Where is the comparison? Where because the comparison when you see somebody who is standing up for their liberty, standing up for for what? They were guaranteed in their original uh, homesteading uh, agreement to, to have this land. Where, where is the, the 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 outrage should be towards the federal government, not towards these exactly, ownership. exactly. More and more, more people should look at these people and see what they're doing and say, you know what, we do have a right to stand up to this government. That That's going back to the Second Amendment. Right. That's right. We have the we we were given the tools in by the founding fathers in our constitution. To prevent ourselves from being taken over by a tyrannical government, that was that was so important to the founding fathers. If it hadn't, if it hadn't been for the Bill of Rights, the Constitution never would have been passed, because they were that concerned about it. And by the the low number, by number two, they wanted freedom of speech protected first and foremost. But next in line was the right to. Now they didn't say the right to own and carry arms, the right to. Bear arms. Jefferson was very adamant about that. He wanted every American citizen to carry an arm, and, and, a sidearm, or some kind of weapon. Explain the difference between carrying and bearing, because that that's very important. Bearing, bearing um, insinuates an action, taking an action with that gun. Carrying it, you're just passively, you have it on your person. Mm -hmm. Bearing it is bearing it because of an of, of some type of intent. And that's, right. and, and that's what they wanted people to know. And they were adamant about every word in that Constitution took days. Many of them took days to fight over simple wording because they wanted it to be right. <clears throat> so bearing arms was critical. Yes, because you bear arms against an <laughs> opponent. You bear arms against a threat. You, you carry an arm. Just You can passively carry an arm. Sure. You, uh, be, bearing is active. Carrying is passive. That's the best way to say it. Very well put. <clears throat> thinking on the fly there. But it's important that you remember this. Why do we bring these things up? Why do we spend so much time on this? Because it's absolutely critical that you understand whether it comes from these last statistics I gave, gave you came from Big Think. So these aren't, these aren't just numbers we're throwing out there willy-nilly. These are, whether it's the Crime Research Center that we brought up today, Big Think today, whether it was IJR, you know, uh, uh, the Journal Review, or whether it be Conservative Review, we're bringing you well-credible authors that have done extensive research. We've given you facts and figures to back everything we have from independent sources. This isn't as if we're just saying this and spouting it from the top of our heads. And that's the important part of the age we live in right now. The information is out there, and it's, it, it's, on, it's on the individual to go out there 
and, and find out for themselves. Don't just accept whatever you're told. Don't even believe what we tell you. <laughs> you yeah, we, that's why we tell you these sources. We want you to go and read this stuff. We're telling you where to go and research this stuff. You want to find out the, the insidiousness of what this administration is doing with the, with the, uh, gun, the, uh, the gun laws. Go and read John Lott's Crime Research Center. They have the most accurate and up-to-date numbers of even the federal government. This guy has been, and so Levin asked him, he said, well, how many times have you been on the major networks? It, all but one was 20 years, and yeah. the one that he was on was, like he said, for 30 seconds. 10 seconds? Yeah. He's like, I got 10 seconds, and it had been about 20 years since then, too. So, Well, there's an agenda, and, 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 and I don't know why people don't, uh, well, I mean, it goes back to what I've always said. People are stupid, I guess, but um, there's an agenda here. And the agenda in this particular situation is that they believe that you aren't capable of, of, of owning a gun and, and responsibly owning that gun. Uh, these are generally speaking, especially the political leaders, people who have grown up, well, maybe not grown up, but spent their uh, adult lives under the protection of a gun. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I would have thought it would have been very uh, nice of the president who believes in gun-free zones to have declared the White House a gun-free zone and we're not going to have Secret Service here anymore. Uh, well, I, 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 yeah, but of course they're not. I mean, co- well, no, of course not. And, and you know, Bloomberg, Bloomberg travels everywhere with bodyguards. Sure. All of these people have lived in their bubble for so long. They don't understand. They, they don't know what it's like to live in, in, in an inner city and, and be faced with violent crime every day of the week. I forget what athlete. I was watching a show just the other day. And I, gosh, I wish I could remember who it was. But uh, talked about living in fear every day of his life because, he, you know, he wanted to go to school. And Look he what wa- Ben Carson went through. Yeah. I mean, th- this kid was like, he said, I had to fight my way home every day of my life. And he went to live with his grandparents. I, I, the name might pop into my head before we go off the air. But <coughs> he, it, the first chance he got to get out, he got out because he said, I lived in fear every day of my life. Th- that, was, that was the reality. People like that deserve to have the right to defend themselves. Well, this year upcoming, on what's your point, we're going to start getting some guests that are going to call in or hopefully appear in person. Um, and we're going, to, we're going to bring you, because this is an important, this is probably the most important year I can remember. It was extraordinarily important in 1980 when uh, Jimmy Carter and, and Ronald Reagan. That was an extremely critical time. But this is much more critical because at least through the malaise of Jimmy Carter, you didn't have an ideology that was fundamentally to tear down this country and rebuild it in some socialist nirvana. This, Jimmy Carter was just inept. Inept, yeah. And he, but he fundamentally believed in America well, he first. He was definitely a patriot. He was a patriot. And this administration is tearing this country down by the roots. He is ripping up and shredding everything that we hold near and dear. You just look at it across the board whether it's international relations. They're at the lowest that they've ever been. We've got, we've got a constitution that is being threatened every day by this guy, by his pen. You've got, uh, you've got people that are making less money than they made when he came into office, owning less homes than when he came into office. Racial divide is much greater than it's been in the real, last... Real unemployment. <clears throat> real unemployment. Real unemployment is upwards around 80%, 60%. It's ridiculous. And yet, if you... And we'll talk about this next week because I posted it today... The uh, hideousness, and we talked about this before, of the H-1B visas. Yes, I saw your post uh, about that earlier. The colleges have unfettered access to these visas. You know, they get like 
untold numbers that they can bring into the university system. Now, these are the universities that you're paying for, so they're saving the money by bringing in all these all these outsiders for four to six years, but they come and take the less money because they hope they're going to get a green card out of it. So they want to come here permanently, so they take the less money to come in. And what does that do? That uproots the jobs of the people that are there. They're being paid less, so they're saving money. And yet, do you hear any any university, any institution that's coming out each and every every year and saying, well, we're going to cut, because we save so much money on these visas, we're going to cut back on the on what you're going to pay for school? No, uh, and, 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 and the, the vested professors, the one with tenure, continue to make more and more money. Yes, exactly. And, and how do they pay for that? They pay for it by getting rid of the people underneath the professors or the underling professors, and, and they're saying, well, we need them. No, we don't need them. They're just, and we're going to have some startling facts for you next week. You can go to our site, What's Your Point, and read a little bit about it because we're going to talk about this next week. And I think you are going to be disgusted what you hear this administration is doing with these visas. And understand, these visas are absolutely critical. And we, this was a show that we really didn't spend any time today talking about the economy. But mm -hmm. as we head into this election year, there are some things that need to be brought out to the, the, the public so they know what, it, what has been going on for the last seven and a half years. So that something can be uh, done or some of the candidates can, can come up with, with some solutions before this house of cards collapses. I don't know that a lot of people realize that the federal treasury is still printing $85 billion a month yeah. to buy mortgage-backed securities and treasuries. What happens when that implodes? The next big problem, when that does implode, is that the way the revised regulations have now been written, the next bailout is not going to be a bailout. It's going to be a European-style bail-in, meaning these banks, in order to survive, will have to confiscate the deposits of, of, uh, of account holders. Right. So like what happens in Europe, particularly what happened Greece. in Greece, you go to bed on a Friday night with, let's say, uh, $10,000 in your account, and when the banks open for business on Monday, you've got $8,000 in your account. They took 20% in, in order to, to, to prop themselves up and, and to survive. That's next, my uh, friends. And if you stay with us on What's Your Point, we will keep giving you this information week in and week out. We're going to give you the information that most people don't have time nor the wherewithal to do it, but we'll take as much time as it needs. We'll give you the facts. We'll give you the figures. We'll give you where to go. We want you to do this research. We want you to take the time. This year is going to be absolutely critical. We're also going to talk about, I'll just throw out some numbers for you. You know, Hillary Clinton thought she was going to bring in uh, Bill Clinton. He was, he was going to be the big savior. And Donald Trump jumped all over it and brought up some great points. And now we went back and looked in our research. There were 29 scandals Hillary was involved in. 29 scandals. So this isn't a lady who's, oh, Benghazi was, eh. No, Benghazi. And we're going to give you the list of, in, of things that she's been involved in for multitudinous things from questionable deaths, Vince Foster, to, uh, to uh, records that disappeared. Whitewater, the Rose Whitewater, Law Firm. Rose uh, Law Firm. She was actually Watergate. fired by the Watergate group. Yeah, and, and they had some, some pretty, pretty harsh words when they described her about her, uh, her uh, corruption. Devious, her yeah, devious yes. tactics, her, her inability to follow the Constitution. Now, this started out 
and then it just goes on from there. And we're going to bring those things to you. And by the way, when you when you have a woman that's running on women's rights, when she is trying to use a genitalia card in every way, shape, or form that she can, we're going to remind you of the twenty-some bimbo eruptions, just to remind you that this guy. Well, not only the bimbo eruptions, but what about some of the, the allegations of rape? Yeah, I mean, so this is. Did, did you see the woman in uh, in Iowa? The uh, congresswoman. The con- yeah, state state legislator who, yeah. who is a rape survivor and uh, was at Hillary's, I guess you would call it, rally. Town hall, whatever, town they, hall, whatever. And she continually badgered Hillary about uh, answering, how, how can you stand for women's rights when you've looked the other way and, and, and even been uh, complicit in, in your husband's, in covering up your husband's alleged problems and, and even some of the acknowledged uh, affairs. She refused to answer the woman's question and then, then eventually called the woman rude. Mm-hmm. And said that she wouldn't answer any of her questions. So, yeah, so I I, I hope that people stay in this woman's face about this, and keep her on point and, and force her to answer some of these 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 glaring inconsistencies from what she portrays herself as and what her history shows she is. And we will, if no one else will. I know we will. I know Levin, Limbaugh, a lot of these people will. But we're just another source where you can get this information. Now, very quickly, winners and losers. Creek, always a, always a time that I enjoy. My winners m- has to be the Southeastern Conference. Mm-hmm. Breaking their own record, winning eight out of ten bowl games. Texas A&M and Florida, the only two who lost. You know, I did not think the SEC was that strong this year. Uh, but to have a team playing in the final and to have eight winners out of their ten bowl games is definitely a winner. I think the losers this week are going to be uh, – the American people, because, again, we see the erosion of our basic fundamental constitutional rights, particularly as it pertains to the Second Amendment. A lawless president acting without the consent of Congress, as you brought up. And by not acting with the consent of Congress, that means you're not acting with the consent of the people to try to force these increased regulations on us. They do absolutely nothing. It's all style, no substance. Great points. My winner this week, I have to go back. I'm going to keep I'm going to keep with your philosophy, Georgia Southern. Winning a big bowl game. They came from way down at halftime, absolutely poured it on in the second half, proved themselves to be worthy of being in a bowl game. Congratulations to Georgia Southern. My loser and, and my co-winner uh, is the militiamen out in Oregon. They, they are doing the right thing uh, the right way. They are actually doing it the way the Constitution is set up to do it, to be honest with you. And so they're my winner. The losers, I have to say right now, is the, is the Congress for that omnibus, um, omnibus bill that they passed. I think Paul Ryan is the big loser. Uh, now he's trying to bring it back, dial it back. He's trying to come back, and he's, he's coming out with some strong laws to, to, uh, to shut down Obamacare. And uh, <coughs> he has said that these, these uh, fiats that the president's trying to push through, he's not going to stand for. We'll see. We'll see. But anyway, that's it for What's Your Point? Live from Cutter Cigar Emporium. We thank you so much. We please remind you to, to remember our troops and our first responders here, the reasons we enjoy, the freedoms we have so much. The price of freedom is never free. Till next week, God bless you all. God bless America. And God willing, we'll be here right here next week, 3 to 5 Eastern Standard Time on What's Your Point?